Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Christina Carlson. She is a self-relationship coach, speaker, facilitator, and podcast host. She joined two cults as an adult before discovering spirituality. They are queer and neurodivergent and help others accept their whole selves. So I'm excited to have Christina here to talk more about themselves and what they've got going on and how they help other peoples and all the good stuff. So thank you so much, Christina. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience more about you and your story? Thank you so much for having me. I, um, I always have this feeling when I'm like hearing my bio read and I'm like, oh, that's, that's me. Like I, I'm still not used to it. It's still just like describing someone and I'm like, yeah, I actually, actually feel very proud of like hearing those things. I'm like, yes, it's good. Um, so I, um, yeah, I have a very interesting background. I was raised in high control religious groups, um, very dogmatic fundamentalist forms of Christianity. And, um, I grew up in the Midwest of the United States and, um, I've always been someone who's, um, whether by socialization or like nature of who I am, been someone who's listened to people. And from, from very early on, people have told me that I've made them feel safe and feel seen. Um, and that's kind of been a thread throughout my life. But the very interesting thing about this, like with all of us, is we all end up like kind of adopting these beliefs and stories about ourselves that we later have to undo. And because I was undiagnosed neurodivergent, um, I was told that I was not as smart as my siblings. Um, and that really put a damper on my um, self-confidence and ability for, or my ability to think that I could be competent or take care of myself. So I really went into life thinking that I always needed to have someone to take care of me, whether that be parents or family or getting married. And that kind of fit right into the religious communities that I was in is like you get married and you support your husband and that's what you do. So um, that was like my life path for the longest time. I was just planning to, you know, go the route and be this supportive person because I was good at being supportive. Um but I really, I really shut down my senses to myself and my, my awareness of my own needs and desires and even opinions because I didn't feel safe to do that because doing that meant that I would lose the safety that I needed because I wasn't competent to make it on my own. So there was all these like different factors that were kind of like keeping me in place that I wasn't completely aware of at the time. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a long intro, but <laughs> yeah, it brings some good foundation to who you are and, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. You want to first take us through, you know, the diagnosis of being neurodivergent and what it was like then coming to this realization later on and not having those support needs met when you were younger. Yeah, I actually only got an official diagnosis at the beginning of this year in January. 2023, if people are listening to this later, um, I, I did like a very extensive online test that, um, 
was approved by like my doctor and my therapist. And I felt honestly, like I felt a lot of grief about it. I I felt, um, relief in like feeling seen. Um, I was like, Oh, that's why it was so hard for me. That's, that's why this was like challenging for me. I make so much more sense to myself. Kind of like when I discovered I was queer, it was the same thing. I was like, Oh, I get me. And looking back, it's like, it still feels really emotional for me to like, think, Oh, like, but the people around me didn't see me. And that's, that's kind of a, that that's like a point of grief. Like I, I'm still grieving the fact that like I was looked at differently and seen as less than in many ways because, because people didn't understand. And because of the lack of understanding, they thought something was wrong. And I internalized that belief. So in that way, it's kind of a bummer, but in other ways, it's like, oh, like I, I have been able to like embrace these new identities and feel like validated by my community and by myself and able to even celebrate the parts of me that are different. Um, yeah, I, I, I know everyone has a different journey with ADHD. I do take medication. And when I started taking medication for this, I felt like for the first time I, I like didn't feel FOMO, like not like, (laughs) not like the FOMO of like, I wanted to go to this thing and I didn't get to go to this thing, but like the FOMO of like, I'm forgetting something right now. So there's this like constant anxiety of like, I must be missing something. So I need to think and constantly do to make sure that I'm not missing something because if I don't do it right now, I'll forget it. Um, that kind of thing. And so as soon as I started taking the medication, I was like, oh my God, like, I feel like I can relax. I feel like I can get things done and also not do things. It was just like this load lifted off of me like, oh, okay. (laughs) So my, my experience with it is fantastic, but I know everyone has a different journey with that. Right. But it's good to hear that you've, you know, found some balance and been able to figure out what you need and, you know, be able to have those moments of relief and say nothingness. And you mentioned in there how kind of coming to this neurodivergence diagnosis had some similar sort of feelings about figuring out you were queer. So how did you figure out you were queer and what does that mean to you? Yeah, Uh, well, I'll start with the second part and then I'll go back. Um, queer to me means, um, like a celebrated difference, like a uniqueness, um, a form of individuation that can't be replicated by another person. So I don't think it's like, I think it can be about so many things, not just about sexuality, but just about a celebrated difference something you celebrate within yourself. Um, so yeah, there's so much I could say about like queerness and like the beautiful difference that could be that it can encompass, but I will go back and answer the first question. (laughs) Um, I, so I'm bisexual and, um, because of the way that I was raised, I was, I was, I had very little contact with anyone outside of the world that I was in. My parents homeschooled us. Then we went to a private Christian school for high school. Like there was just like a very big 
um, with Truman Show bubble going on. And I then I went to a Bible college, <laughs> got my degree in theology. Like I just didn't have a lot of contact with anyone who wasn't in this belief system. And within these belief systems, it's not kosher or not approved to be debating or discussing anything that was already like set in stone. Like if the leaders in the community at large believes this, we don't question that. Um, so there wasn't a lot of conversations around diversity at all. Um, I did have gay neighbors growing up. I remember that there was uh, some lesbians who lived by my first house and there was a, a gay couple, two guys that lived next door to my second house. Um, but the comments that especially my mom made about these people was really derogatory and negative. Not explicitly like because they're gay, but it was like, ew, they're so dirty and gross and like just really, really like passive aggressive or just even aggressive things that where as a kid you hear that and you're like, mental nope, don't be that. <laughs> um, so I would, and also in our community, like our church community, it was talked about as like, you know, one of the most terrible things in the world to be, um, you know, equivalent with horrible atrocities like murder. And, um, so I would have panic attacks about thinking that I might be a lesbian and <laughs> I didn't know bisexuality was a thing. Um, so I would calm myself down from a panic attack by reminding myself that I was also attracted to men. So I would be like, Oh no, it's fine. Cause I, I know for sure that I'm attracted to men. So I can't be a lesbian. Um, and I don't know how I like managed to do this, but I managed to like keep everything out for long enough while I was in that community to not know that bisexuality was really a thing. And it wasn't until um, early to mid twenties, I'm 35 now. So like over 10 years ago um, that I, a friend came out to me as bi and it, at, at this point, I was already, I was within the church, but I was already like, okay, something has to be off here because I had met a bunch of gay people. One of my best friends from high school came out as gay. And I was like, I don't think God hates these people. Like that just can't be right. So I became an ally, you know, that was like my first thing. And, but one of my friends came out as bi. And like, as soon as he described this, I was like, that's me. And it, it was just like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that was an option. Thank you. <laughs> and it was it was extremely validating. And it really was like, because I did like the allyship first and also the like work of accepting my queer friends and that community first, when I uncovered that within myself, because I was probably finally safe to do so, it felt like it just landed. And so then what was kind of the perception around you? Like, were your parents, was that something you talked about with them? No, that would, that would, I'm, I'm really like, I really am convinced that our bodies do everything in the world to protect us. They do. I, I think our nervous systems respond to things intensely and our brains come up with stories to keep us safe. And I, I'm really grateful that I wasn't aware of my sexuality earlier because I think it would have been a lot harder for me. Like I could have gotten kicked out 
of my house, I could have been sent to a conversion camp, like, or conversion therapy. Like, it could have gone a lot worse for me if I had been honest at that point. Um, so at the, at the point when I realized I was bisexual, um, my parents had already taken a step back from me and my siblings because my brother had expressed that he wasn't attending church anymore because the church was against queer people and, and they flipped out. <laughs> it was really, it was really bad. Um, which like, cause I've been in those communities. Like that's the only way they know how to respond. It's like their kids have died. They even said that to us. Um, and this was like not going to church and accepting queer people. It wasn't even at that point that we were leaving religion. It was just, it was just simply that. So I had told my mom right after that happened, I was like, I don't feel comfortable having conversations about spirituality with you. So I, um, I didn't really say anything to her or my dad until about two years ago, or maybe it was only a year ago. I had a conversation with my parents. My dad is much calmer. Um, my mom is like really, really tense. I inherited my stress from her. Um, but he was, he asked a lot of really good questions and, um, heard me and didn't try to change my mind. And it was a really beautiful experience because although there isn't acceptance, um, that's impossible. Um, I've been able to grieve that and, um, we have a we have a cordial relationship. And from the earlier sounds of it, it didn't seem like cordial was going to even be a possibility. So it sounds like you're at least in a good place from where it could have gotten to. Yeah, I think like, I mean, in my experience of being in that community, there is a lot of fear around people who think differently. And so naturally they took a step back from all of us when any of this happened, when we started to be curious and ask questions and kind of explore in our, on our own ways, it, it became very fearful for them. So they took a pretty large step back and that really hasn't like closed too much, but we're able to like be kind and be around one another and, they're not um, openly trying to convert us. <laughs> so then what was it like leaving the church and, you know, you ended up in some cults? What's kind of that journey been like? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, well, as I mentioned, like I kind of grew up in like the Truman Show bubble of Christianity. And so the question is always like, how do you end up in a cult? Right. It's like, how did you get there from here? Like I grew up with like my bedtime stories of people dying for the faith. Like these were just like what we were told. It was like the ultimate radicalism was the ultimate show of your love and dedication to the cause, which was everything um, to God. And that was literally everything. So when I saw something more intense, more committed, more difficult, more challenging. That was, that was like a call to go forward, to go into it. If it seemed like it was really hard, then it was like, then that's what you do. And so as I joined, um, as I said, I went to Bible college, this was one of the campuses 
that I went to a study abroad program. And as I was, I was there as a student, then I went back as an intern, then I went back as staff. And the thing about, the thing about a lot of cults, not all of them, is that there's like layers of circles of people, or there can be like where there's the top tier or the top ladder or the top or the core group or whatever it is. As I did student and then intern and then staff, there was like this increasing awareness that the church had shunned people and kicked people out. And in when I was on staff, they started to like do public humiliation of people and um, control dialogue. And we were reprimanded for having conversations about different aspects of the Bible that wasn't, it wasn't even remotely like bad within that community, but it was like, the pastor was like, if you have a question, you need to talk to me, not talk to other people. Um, it was very controlled. And, um, I was dating someone at the time and he had already left. So I had an excuse to exit and I was like, we're going to go get married and start a church or whatever over there. (laughs) Um, so I had, I had like a safe exit in that case. Um, I don't think I would have been unsafe physically at all if I stayed. Um, it was more emotional and yeah, spiritual abuse. And so what have like kind of your ideals since then been when it comes to spirituality and, you know, these things that you grew up with? Yeah. Like what are my ideals now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such a journey. Um, I, and I, I want to reference like, um, my work here for just a minute, if that's okay. Yeah. Because, um, I, I work with a lot of people who are in a space of recovering from high control religious groups and in the stages after there's, you're reestablishing like your entire life. And this, this could be from like a narcissistic parent or partner. Um, but there, there's this like, okay, wait, who am I without this thing? And if you've been within that system, family system or religious system from the time you were born, there is a intense disconnection from yourself and your body and your wants, needs, thoughts, desires, because all of that has been pushed aside as like not helpful for your existence, whether that be for the cause or for staying in relationship with the parent to maintain safety. Um, so for me and a lot of the people that I work with, there's like there's layers of reestablishing connection with yourself. And I, I began that journey personally through um, hula. I started doing hula when I lived in Hawaii and it awakened like my body to pleasure that in a way that I had not had access to. And I think because it was put on by the church, I had like this, this um, loophole that was just like, yes, shake your hips in front of the church. It's fine. Like there there was this, this loophole that I was like, I just got permission. Like I've never gotten permission for this. So I, I really fell in love with it because it was, and I didn't know this at the time, but it was, it was reawakening my connection to my actual physical body in a very pleasurable way. And 
I began to notice my own sensations more and have really found that to be honestly like the main core point along the journey of like what I value is a deep connection and relationship with myself and with my body. And that took many different forms. Like at the beginning, because I was still mostly in my head, I was like, I got to write out a list. Like after I left religion, I was like, I need to find my values. I'm going to do worksheets and do this and do this. And, and I feel like the universe or my body was just like, Hmm, that's, that's nice, honey. (laughs) So glad you're trying something. Um, but it's taken a lot longer to realize that like one of the, one of the core values and practices of my life, spiritual and otherwise is to be present in what is in this moment, um, physically, relationally, um, with myself and with other people to simply be here. And it sounds so simple, but in a world that like really has us trying to do constantly, we're always thinking like a hundred steps ahead. And I mean, especially within the religious groups I was in, like we're preparing for the end, you know, and we're always thinking about like, how can we save people so they don't go to hell? And like, there's, there's so many just different aspects of that. It's been a huge transition for me to, to learn to be here and be fully here. And honestly, it's just so fucking delightful. And so this kind of connects into like the work that you do. So do you want to share like how you got into coaching and what sort of schooling or expertise um, you might have that got you to, besides from your own personal experience, help people in situations that you kind of went through as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my experience does have a lot to do with the niche that I chose. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've trained with two different coaching academies, Beautiful You Coaching Academy in Australia and Devoted Energy Coaching School with Sora Schilling in South Carolina. And um, both of them are highly integrous. I believe that's the word. They're high in integrity as far as um, staying in their lane with what it means to be a coach and not a therapist Um, and really, really about holding space and not giving advice and not giving just answers for people. Um, so I personally have, I, I love that, um, before we got on this call, you were talking about when you started your podcast and in the pandemic, it was right before the pandemic hit that I realized I wanted to do life coaching. The world was ending. My sister and I were on a hike. It was like the the sun was setting on the bottom side of a hill and the moon was rising full on the other. And my sister and I are deep in conversation about like, what does the future hold? And we don't know, you know, it was like one of those, like, we're just, we love being dramatic for the sake of being dramatic sometimes. And we were like, this is so, so wild. Like if you could do anything, what would you do? And I was like, I think I would just listen to people. I would really love to be paid to listen to people. And I, it occurred to me in that moment that, that that was either a therapist or a coach. And I was like, I'm, I didn't know I was ADHD at the time, but I was like, I can't do school. <laughs> like I can't do like 
academia. <laughs> um, and I, I started looking into the differences between coaching and therapy and um, felt really drawn to what coaching could be. But I did not see an example of what I actually wanted it to be until I found Beautiful You Coaching Academy. And then I was like, oh, that's it. It's not, it's not just like straight white people. Like it, it can be like really earthy and real. And I kind of just fell in love with it. I, I love, <sighs> I can't say it enough. I love holding space for people to be with what is present for them in this moment. It is, it is something that I've loved my entire life, no matter what season or religion or cult I was in. I adore holding space for people. And I didn't know that there was a name for it until I discovered coaching. And I've always found that like, there, there's like a, an interesting wisdom that comes out in me when I'm fully present in those moments that has like changed my friends' lives and now my clients' lives. And it feels really profound for me to even say that coming from a belief that I didn't have anything to offer myself to know that that's actually the gift that I carry. And to hear the like journey you went through to be like, this is why I want to do what I'm doing. And this is why I'm going to take this path. And I need to find something that resonates with what I'm looking for. I think that really shows you mentioned, you know, the integrity of these schools, like it, it shows your integrity and how you wanted to help other people. Thank you. Now I'm curious if you'd be willing to share a little bit about like what, you know, it was like being in Australia for some of your schooling. And then you also mentioned living in Hawaii. So it seems like you've, you've had a chance to experience different places. Yeah. Uh, Australia was an online school, so I have not yet been, um, I did live in Hawaii off and on for five years. Um, I, I really love traveling. I had only traveled for like missions trips and, um, Bible college when I was in those places, but, um, travel is something that's really changed my life. Like I'm, I'm going to bring out my Truman bubble one more time. Like I, I was really in this space of, like just seeing like, this is, this is terrible. A circle jerk. I'm only seeing like, what's, what's me. Everything is just being reflected to me. Like exactly as it is, um, as I'm giving it. So it's projections and it's just being reflected right back to me. And when I, when I first moved here to Kansas city 10 years ago, um, my brother and I, I was living with him and his wife, and son at the time, he and I decided to take a trip every year. And so we went to El Salvador our first year, um, Mexico the next, and then Puerto Rico the third year. And each of those trips had such a profound impact on just like me. Like I had just only seen people who thought like me. And I met in Mexico on our second trip, I met, um, an atheist and she was just like one of the nicest people. And she was so curious. Her curiosity was an openness that I had not, I just, I had never met anyone who felt that free to be curious. And she was like, do y'all really believe in hell? You know, like very like 
just, that's so wild. I've never met anyone who's Christian, let alone homeschooled. And, um, it was just really like, I don't know when, when she asked, like, do y'all really believe in hell? I was like, do I really believe in hell? (laughs) That's absurd. Like, it was just very interesting to like, meet someone who had never fathomed the things that I was entirely living within. Um, and I did get a little bit of that in Hawaii, but because I was still in that bubble, there wasn't a lot of it that was more, um, experiencing a different culture, but only through a very whitewashed lens. Um, so my later travels definitely had more of an impact and I do still plan to go to Australia at some point. Now, since you haven't gone to Australia, you did online school. Was it like asynchronous schooling or were you like having to deal with the crazy time change that is between the U.S. and Australia? Oh, we dealt with the time change. I had I had a couple like classmates. I think there was like 70 something of us in my class. And um, me and like my California friends were always like texting each other, like, don't forget the time change. Like we had a time change. It's this day, you know? Like, so I'd be texting like, Oh, you're late. And we'd pop in like five minutes after because we'd like mess up the like, but yeah, it was a really wild time change. <laughs> Thankfully it's, it's like just enough that their 10 in the morning is like our five thirty to 6 PM. Um, so I managed it. Okay. My partner was really supportive in watching my daughter during those times, but oh, I like, cannot say enough about that school. One of my, one of my clients is now joining them as studying and it's, um, I, I just haven't found anything else out there that's as inclusive and as diverse and as supportive and open to learning as they are. I, when I got my textbooks in the mail, I just like openly cried. I had never like actually felt seen by anything that was remotely close to academic. I was just like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, that was truly a beautiful experience. That's great. Now, are you willing to talk a little bit about parenting? Yeah, of course. Um, well, so I'm curious just because, um, you know, you are not where you were when you were a child and with your parents. So I'm curious to know how your parenting has been different than the parenting that you had as a child. Yeah, there's layers to this. Um, on the, on the surface, like absolutely I'm doing a lot differently. Um, we're not raising my daughter as religious in any way. Um, we do play around with magic and like fairy tales and stories and, um, imagination. And, um, honestly, what's really interesting is, um, if you want to, if you want to change the way you do something, you actually have to change the way you think and do the thing. And for me at first, I was like, okay, like, I'm just going to not raise her religious. I'm going to raise her extreme like liberal or something and it was just like basically taking like the same attitude of like control and me distilling my values onto her instead of supporting her to think critically about it and be with what she actually wants and thinks 
So the, the biggest difference I think is not that I'm liberal teaching her to be liberal, but it's that I'm learning to hold space for, you know, the other half of my heart in, um, in a way that she gets to decide what is best for her. And I think that's like, that's the much more challenging way to do things because it, it's been those underscoring beliefs, those like the way that I was doing it was, was for a long time, just the same. And I had to realize like, Oh, this isn't going to turn out any different. If I don't actually heal my nervous system, calm the fuck down and like be able to be with this. Because that, that, that is the biggest difference in, in my mind is actually my willingness to heal and to see, to see where, to see myself as human, as, as failing and succeeding, as messy and great, and, and allow that to be, because that in, in my lineage has not actually been a thing beyond like leaving and going to religion and leaving and going back. No one has yet actually been able to hold space for their own individual difference and someone else's. So I think that's probably the most valuable thing that I can offer her. And so how would you handle whether you have or you have not already an instance where say she were to follow an idea that doesn't align with one of your ideals or were to rebel against kind of something that means a lot to you so that it wasn't because you're not trying to indoctrinate her to just be like your carbon copy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going to say that, that like that I, that that stands to be seen. And I, I don't know that I can actually answer that. Honestly, like I, I want to say, here's what I would do. Like, <laughs> but I'm, I'm very much a human. Um, my, my intention would be to, to maintain an open space where we have a dialogue about, about it. That that's what I want to, that's what I want to do is, is instead of shutting everything down and trying to control rather have a conversation about it and still be a parent. Like I'm not going to let her go to like a, you know, a terrible place that I know is shitty, you know, like still there might be a no somewhere. And also I really want to be able to be someone that she can actually be her whole self with whether, you know, whatever that looks like. Uh, I think, you know, intentionality is important and like you're able to recognize what you might want to do might not be what happens in the moment. But you also have, you know, have that realization of like, if this were to happen, like, I might not handle it in the best way, but I know how I want to handle it and want to make sure that communication and being your whole self is important. Now, your whole self um, has been something you've, you know, been figuring out, realizing who you are. Do you feel like you are now like fully aware of your whole self? <laughs> I, I mean, I love, what a great fucking question. I'm like, does anyone really know ever their whole self or is the whole self, the universe and a mystery that continues to reveal itself? Um, <laughs> I, 
I feel like I have an incredibly strong sense of myself in that I now believe and trust in myself more than I ever have. Not that like, I think this is an important distinction. I think when a lot of people are like, who am I? Like, what am I? Like, what do I believe? And like, I I really do think that, you know, uncovering your values is an incredibly important and powerful tool. And I think if that's really overwhelming, like the most important thing at the base of that to do is to like, to notice how you feel in each moment, to notice what you want in each moment, to notice what you need in each moment. And, and that's who you are. We don't exist in the future or in the past. We're now, whether those things are all happening all at once or not, all you get to do is be here in this moment. So who you are is, is those things right now. And I think that knowing that and knowing the things that I do know about myself now, I believe that I probably will uncover other things about me. I just like continue to surprise myself and it's very fun. Um, there, there will always be that foundation there of like, but, but no, like I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm human. I know because of my flaws, I'm connected with humanity. I know because of my goodness and desires that I'm a part of the earth and life. And I also have an incredible group of people around me to reflect that back to me. And that feels really solid in, in existence, not because what I want and feel and need won't change because it will, but because it's, it's this like the, the wholeness that I am is those things being honored. I think that, you know, makes a lot of sense and your openness to who you are and figuring everything out has really like come through and is, is so important to kind of just life in general. Now we haven't talked yet about the fact that you're a podcast host. So do you want to share a little plug about what you are doing on this side of the internet? Yeah, my podcast is called Bitches, Witches, and Queers. Um, We're on a break for the summer, planning to start up again this fall. Um, My desire for the podcast is about as um, fluid as I am. Um, But all of the conversations that I have on that podcast are around the invisible things that influence us and topics that are a little bit more meta than earthy and at the same time very earthy um the nuance of life the nuance of ourselves uh what it means to exist from different perspectives and different backgrounds together um mostly with bitches witches and queers (laughs) and honestly our our topics are very they draw you in because it's like a real conversation about something that's going on at the time. And I've found that I found that my clients listen to them like a part of the curriculum sometimes because they have like the ongoing dialogue of what I'm, what we're discussing in our sessions. A lot of the time, um, life can be really interesting. Life is really funny and weird And also really hard and also like so expansive, it's hard to know how to hold it all. And our conversations are really about what does it mean to be here right now? 
what is practical spirituality for someone who's curious? Right. I think it's, it's important to, you know, have that sort of outlet to continue to share great things. And, you know, as, as you described it, it's a bit of, you know, meta and earthy, which is a a great place to be in. Now, before I start to wrap things up, is there anything else at all that you would like to share with the listeners today? Yeah, I'm going to say something that I say at the end of most podcast interviews. um, And that is to like, go at your own pace with healing, with deconstruction, with change. I think our whole culture tells us to radically and dramatically do things. And if that's your vibe, like do it. Um, But you don't have to. I, in leaving the toxic systems that I was a part of, in changing the things that I'm shifting and how I relate to the world and how I relate to spirituality, the things that have stuck are the things that I've done slowly over time. The mundane, boring shit that's not going to make your ego feel like you're fabulous. It's just going to be. It will be neutral in your nervous system. So whether you are like leaving a toxic relationship, religion, space, or you're just, you know, uncovering your sexuality, it's okay to just take the piece that you feel capable of looking at and be with that for as long as you need to. You're going to get where you need to go. And there really is, there's no rush. I think that's some great advice that everyone can, can take part and, and really learn from and figuring out your true self. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I mean, me too. That's why I say (laughs) at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question. My question for you is that I am interested to know what would your theme song be? (laughs) I'm just going to give you what popped into my head right away, which is it's raining tacos. (laughs) If you don't have a kid, you might not have heard it. It's really absurd. I'll send you the link and uh, you can put it in the show notes. All right, that brings this episode to a close. So in addition to leaving the link to It's Raining Tacos in the description, I will also be leaving links for Christina. So her website, some social media, along with their podcast. And of course, our website for this podcast is in the description as well. It brings you to all of our past episodes. It brings you to our social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn if you'd like to go follow those pages. Or if you're interested in supporting the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that as well. And if you have a story that you would like to share, you can always feel free to reach out to me to be a guest on the show. My email is directly in the description. So thank you so much, Christina, for spending time with me today. And to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me. Bye.